You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Derek McFadden on the show with me today. He has an amazing new book that you guys are absolutely going to love. It's called What Death Taught Terrence. And uh, I'll tell you what, from page one, this book just completely pulled the rug out from under me, and I was all in. Uh, I think you guys will feel the same. Uh, Welcome to the show, Derek. Thank you, Hank. I mean, I, it's amazing to hear that from you. So thank you. I appreciate that you love the book. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, what You've listened to the show before, so you know that we begin each show yes. with the same question. And I hope you've thought about it. Uh, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? My first memory, I had a dream at six years old that I was going to be a writer. Um, and the dream is actually in the book it's fictionalized but that dream actually happened to me um where uh i was taken to a it sounds weird but i was taken to this room that i'd never seen before and somebody said you're gonna be a writer and i woke up knowing i was gonna be a writer and i grew up in a house with a writer so it wasn't such a stretch that i would be one um I've always been great with words and bad at math. So, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so my mind was always set to be a writer and I love to read, but I always thought, so I have cerebral palsy. That's a big part of my history. Um, and I always thought that when I read a book that the, that the characters who are handicapped are in one of two camps, either they are the saint teaching the able-bodied how to live or they're too broken to matter and they're a side character. And I'm neither one of those. Right. And I wanted to write a book that I guess reflected that. Well, one of my best friends growing up and and we're still very close friends today. um, Doug Bradley, uh, it has cerebral palsy as well. And I remember going all through school and, and he was in a wheelchair and, um, but you know, we didn't, we didn't treat him any differently than everyone else. We would play, uh, you know, touch football in the yard and Doug would be there in the mix with us and getting banged around and, and knocked around just like all of us. And, uh, you know, he kind of developed a, a dark sense of humor um, about it that, uh, you know, a lot of people oh, yeah. with circumstances do, of course. But, you know, it was not until much later in life that we started seeing how other people behaved and how. And you, of course, you know, as a kid, you you would notice how how people would treat our friend, um, and you know that something was different. But you know, it, it was not until much later in life that um, that y- you were told how to behave in polite company, so to speak. You know, but kids just, you know, they just accept each other. It's 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 so weird that we we teach kids how to how to be weird around one another. Right, and I agree with that. I think. Having friends, 
uh, is important for everybody. But when you are, I mean, when you're disabled like me or differently abled is how I like to, is how I like to word it. Sure. Um, having a friend who will, who will be there for you through everything is, is super important. My best friend and I have been best friends for 30 years. Um, and you know, from the second we met, I think it was obvious to me that we were going to be best friends. Um, and he was always supportive of everything I wanted to do. And when anybody would try to bully me, he was always there saying, no, he's cool. And, and that meant a lot. If a kid stands up for you at that, at that age, at like eight or nine, it means a lot because oh, yeah. he's got a group of friends. And if he says, don't mess with him, then they won't mess with you. <laughs> Um, Derek, you mentioned that you grew up uh, in the in the same house with a writer. Uh, who was that writer to you? Yes, that's my dad. Okay. Um, and um, so he, I remember my first memory actually is uh, at two years old. I don't know. I got put in timeout for something. I was, you know, go to your room, that type of thing, right? I'm two years old, so I must have done something terrible. Who knows? <laughs> um, and um, but I remember that like I stayed in timeout for like 10 minutes and my dad came into my room and he just goes, I'm going to be a writer. I have a story idea. It's going to be awesome. Come out of timeout. So he was so excited for this idea that like my timeout didn't matter anymore. That's amazing. Um, and, <laughs> and I, I totally understand that as a writer because we get this idea in our head, like. And it's like, oh, this is a story I can't wait to write. And then, like, nothing else matters for that um, uh, for that bit of time. All you want to do is get that story down. Um, the key with writing, and at least with writing novels especially, is keeping that inspiration at the same level uh, as you go. Because what I find happens sometimes is you – start writing and you're super excited and you're super excited. And then for whatever reason, maybe the plot doesn't work out the way you want, or the characters have taken, have taken the story into a corner and you can't write your way out of it. Um, I mean, a lot of writers have stories that nowhere eventually, right. They're 20 or 30 pages. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, and he he spent years working on that specific novel, but he did finish it. I mean, you know, it it didn't it didn't end up going anywhere. I think uh, I think he might have self published it, honestly, but I, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic that you had that that influence. Um, and it it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, you know what your dad wrote or or how he pursued publishing or in, any of that. That the fact that he shared that experience with you and you know, gave you some encouragement along the way. Uh, that's priceless in a writer's life. Well, it is. And, and, um, and I say that because, uh, you know, he, he ended up putting that first one out and that was years ago back when self-publishing truly was vanity publishing. I mean, you know, before yeah. it was what it is now. Sure. Um, but he ended up uh, searching or we were actually both querying agents at the same time. I had my novel and he had like three or four of his <clears throat> and he was querying and I was querying. And one day he came, he came downstairs to me and he said, I, I found an agent who wants to represent me. And it was a 
special moment. And he, he said, she's going to be in town. Do you want to go have dinner with her? You know, I think he wanted to have a friend in the room in case something went haywire or the meeting didn't go perfect or something. So I said, sure, I'll come with you. And uh, it turned out uh, the agent uh, turned out to be an amazing lady. And a couple of like maybe three or I think it was probably a month later, she messaged me and she, and she said, I need a second reader. Would you be willing to be my second reader? So I've been doing that for about four or five years. Wow. Um, with her. That's amazing. Yeah. That, that is so, so it, cool. It, how. How stuff happens is, is crazy sometimes. Absolutely. It is. Um, Derek, what was the. Uh, I, I know that before your novel, um, What Death Taught Terrence, you've you've also written some other things uh, and you call yourself a poet and uh, and novelist. Um, what was your first yes. uh, love of poetry that that showed itself? Poetry love uh, came late. I mean, I loved I loved reading and writing early, but poetry love came in high school when I had a really good um, I had a really good English teacher who wouldn't just have us read the poetry. He would read it to us and he would use the inflections perfectly. I mean, the, the key with poetry is knowing how to break the stanzas right in my mind. Um, if uh, if you don't know how to read poetry, you could read it very wrong sometimes. Uh, that's why it's 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 a different it's really a different art form than I mean, obviously it's different than prose, but it's very different. Like, um, and so with my book, I put, um, I put one poem at the beginning of each chapter. And the idea with putting a poem at the beginning of each chapter in the book is the poem is a bit of a hint at what the, at what the plot is going to do in this next chapter that you're about to read. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love poetry. I think Robert Frost. And Emily Dickinson were my first real loves as far as poetry goes. What do you feel that um, uh, that writing poetry does for your prose writing? And, and let me break that down, what, what I mean by that. Um, we know that when you write poetry, an economy of words is crucial. You need to, to say what you're going to say, and you need to say it as, succ as succinctly as possible um, in it, it needs to abide by whatever the rules of the particular poetic method is that you're dealing with, um, the right cadence, the you know, the, the way the stanzas break down that you mentioned earlier. Um, but, you know, you right. you kind of set rules for yourself in the beginning and you have to adhere to those rules and you have to say what you're going to say and you have to say it not only succinctly, but you have to figure out a way to say things in a way that will convey information you're not telling the reader. Um, so, for instance, maybe yes. allusions. You mean you need to allude to things and get this point across without necessarily saying it. Um, so, those tools, you know, all yeah. those things that you acquire as a as a poet, do those things bleed over into uh, your prose writing? And do you do you take some of those tools that you collected and bring them over to the side with you? Absolutely. I think uh, the key thing I learned from poetry is that economy of words. It's um, because in my in my prose, um, 
before my novel and before I really learned how to edit with the person that I edit with as far as, you know, the agent goes. Um, I, I'm quite wordy sometimes. I can get pretty verbose. Uh, and what I, what I realized is if I'm, if I'm trying to make a point to the reader, sometimes it's not useful to be as flowery as I want to be to show that, oh, look, I know this word or uh, I can use this word correctly. The, the reader doesn't care about that, right? I mean, especially if what you're reading or, or if what you're writing for is um, is commercial commercial literature, they they want you to tell the story. Uh, and so, showing all the words you know is is kind of pointless uh, at, at at times. Um, obviously, you want the writing to be beautiful, and I hope I've done that. But um, with with poetry, what it what it shows you is I can say in five words what I said in twenty. So if I can say in five words what I said in twenty, let's do it the five. Right. I I fully agree. And and there's uh you, there are things that we learn from poetry that that will help us tell a richer story. Um, you know, I can I can tell you exactly what happened, but maybe poetry gives you some of the tools to help the reader feel what you're trying to say. Yeah, I think that's key, especially um, the first bit of writing I did really was, you know, serious writing was in journalism class. And of course, in journalism class, they teach you, you know, it's it's just the facts. It's Dragnet. It's Joe Friday. You know, just tell me what <laughs> I need to know. OK, that's perfect. That's fine. But that's recording. Right. And And, and that has a place. But if you are if you are writing fiction and you're trying to get somebody interested in your in your story, you don't always want to tell them, you know, that's the other thing you don't want to tell you want to show. Right. Uh, and it, it it sounds like a simple rule. OK, but it it's it's really not because people will always say. He felt bad today or he felt bad yesterday, and it's like, don't tell me he felt bad. Tell me how he felt. Right. Like, truly. Why did he feel bad? Was he sick to the stomach? What did, did he have, um, did he eat some, some bad oysters and he's got food poisoning? I, you know what I mean? Like, the character is a real person. You want the character to be a real person. If you, if you, if you write to, to show, the character should be a real person. If you write to tell what they're going to be is a caricature of the person you wanted to create. Exactly. The Novel Factory Online is software for the serious writer. With features like notes that are automatically organized, that means no more drowning in piles of paper, notes, or spending hours organizing digital folder structures. The Novel Factory offers clear, obvious structures for noting down information about plot, characters, locations, and everything else relating to your novel. Innovative features like the roadmap take you from concept to finished novel. The roadmap is an optional step-by-step -step guide to writing a novel that takes you from the premise to final manuscript and beyond. It draws on tried-and-true, tested theory that lies behind the majority of best-selling novels and blockbuster movies. Access your writing anywhere. The web version of the Novel Factory can be accessed anywhere you have internet. So you can write your novel on the train to work, while walking the dog, or climbing a mountain. Just log in and all your drafts and notes will be at your fingertips. 
Go to Novel-Writer.com to see how this powerful software can unleash your creative side. Use code HANK2020 for 20% off. That's the Novel Factory. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, Manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. The fact that he died on page one, and what happened next? Well, he's obviously somebody who has palsy like me, right? He has, like, I love It's a Wonderful Life. If you catch the It's a Wonderful Life illusions in this book, that's intentional. I love Frank Capra. I love It's a Wonderful Life. I think that um, idealism is not such a bad thing, okay? These days may be considered bad by the people who are in power, uh, but it's not. It's not a bad thing. And, and I so I decided that this that I wanted to have this character who to me was a real handicapped character, right? He wasn't the perfect character that that was going to teach you how to live. He wasn't so broken that you weren't going to be able to relate to him. He was a person who if it weren't for a doctor's mistake would be just like you and every man, right? One doctor's mistake on one random day put him where he was. And at the same time, like I understand uh, that I am, was probably two inches from being even worse off. What happened uh, to me was uh, the doctor uh, reached in with forceps and pulled me out. And I can, I still can feel the forceps scars on my head. And, um, you know, so I'm probably inches away from not being able to speak to you. Honestly, there are people with palsy who are nonverbal. Right. And that doesn't mean they don't have minds and they don't have thoughts. It just means they can't express them the way they'd like to. Um, so yeah, it, uh, but Terrence, so I decided that that's what I wanted to do. 
I had read much, um, I'd read many books by Mitch Album. You know who Mitch Album yeah, is. He's yeah. the guy who wrote, uh, Tuesdays with, yeah, yeah, Tuesdays with Maury and, and, uh, the five people you meet in heaven. And the one thing I thought after reading the five people you meet in heaven was that was good. It was really slight, but it was good. Like what he's saying is a little parable and it was well done. It was just short. Yeah. And I didn't feel like I really got to know the characters, you know, all that well. They, it was, he basically, if you, if you look back at it, he basically told instead of showed. And, you know, when you're a best-selling author, you can do that. <laughs> you're allowed to do that because yeah. people will buy your books no matter what. you. And, I mean, it was good. It just wasn't. Um, so, basically, I had written this book, and it took me from the age of 26 to the age of about 30, uh, about 36 to 37 to finish. And I uh, I didn't know. I, I thought I had something good, uh, but I was I was nervous, you know, and uh, so I knew some authors through my work with with the agent that I work with. And I asked one of them who was a friend of mine, I said, will you read my book and be honest with me? Because if this is bad, I don't want to publish it. You know, if, right. if, I'll put it in a drawer. Um, and he he said, OK. And then he uh, he read it in about two or three days, which is either really good or really bad. Because either he gave up after five pages or he liked it. Right. Right. And then he says, he says to me, he, he, he writes me a, an email and says, can we talk today? I want to talk about your book. And then I went, oh, geez. Okay. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's. Okay. Great. So I pick up the phone, you know, uh, and I'm just like, all right, give it to me straight. What do you think? And he says, well, uh, you're writing a, a kind of a Mitch. He, he said, you're writing kind of a Mitch album book here. And I said, yep. And he goes, the thing is, you've done it better than Mitch did. Wow. And I, and he was serious. And I was just like, I kind of fell out of my chair. I said, you, you, so you, you got it. And he said, oh, I absolutely got it. He said, this should be out now. And I, so, okay. So I, I knew I had something at that point because he would have been honest with me if it was really bad. <laughs> right. Right. And you need those people that will tell you the truth. Yes, writing groups and, and and critique groups. Honestly, the the thing I've learned too about um, you know, because I've been working with books is sometimes people send their books to agents looking for representation too damn early. Yeah, and what they need is two or three more drafts, a beta reader, a critique group. Seriously, we don't want like the thing is. No agent wants to say no, but the, but there's a limited amount of publishers that can publish you. There's a limited amount of, you know, of agents who can represent you. So when you send to an agent, you need to put your best foot forward. We can, you know, we can make your book better, but I mean, that's our job, but it needs to be the bones of what it's going to be first. Right. Um, and, you know, the thing about working with an agent is sometimes I'll work with, with a book that is from a, uh, is from an existing client of hers. And then I'll, I'll, and so I'll read through and let her know what I thought the whole way. 
a give note, or sometimes I'm reading a submission that comes from a query and they've sent in the first 50 pages. And I can tell in five pages if the book is good because I can tell in five pages if the writing is good. Right. Um, and so sometimes we don't, so sometimes we give the book five to 10 pages. If your hook doesn't happen in five to 10 pages, sorry, like there's other books and, and we have to move on. And I feel bad about that, but that's what writers have to learn. Hook the reader, hook the reader first before you do anything else. Derek, let me ask you this. You, you, um, you said that the book took you basically 10 years to write. Um, is that, be- yes. is that because you as a person needed to grow in that 10 years? And did the, did the gist of the book change over that period of time as you changed? Or was it just, um, the, the book is, is always what it was always going to be. And it just took you, that um, amount of time to you know get up your confidence and to get um you know in the right headspace um did the book change or was it just um you know you as a writer maturing oh i think i did mature but i think the book definitely changed um i think what what happened was the first two years i i was able to finish draft one in two years but that was only 40,000 words and I didn't know anything about the business, really. But 40,000 words ain't going to do it. Right. Um, and so uh, and then I went. So I did another draft. And and you got to know that the whole way I'm I'm doing this, it is painful because the way I write is I have I I type with two fingers only. That's all I've got. Right. I, I can't. I So I don't write fast. Um, and and so here I started out with forty thousand words and and basically the way I write is there's a skeleton of a scene that I want to get done uh, and then I'll fill in the I'll fill in the detail later because I'm also legally blind so the thing about it is I realize I don't see what a what a quote unquote normal person would see. So if I'm going to have a main character who has my palsy, who has my same uh, stuff, then he has to be me. And I have to not only show you what he sees, but communicate why what he sees is different from what you see and how it's different. Not just why, but how. And so um, and I remember I got to 53,000 words at the end of draft two and a good writer friend of mine. Jenny Milchman, who uh, who writes amazing books, she she said to me, "Well, you have more room to grow at 53. You 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 can do more." And I remember the first time she said that, I was like, "But isn't it done? Like, didn't I? Isn't it over? Isn't it done?" Uh, and no, it wasn't because I added the poetry, I added more scenes, and what I what I did was essentially, uh, I found a lady. One of the nicest ladies I've ever met in my life. I never never actually met her, but I, I talked to her online a, a lot. And she was on, I think it was querytracker dot dot uh, net, I, I, I believe. Um, and it's one of those uh, sites where 
I mean, I mean, I mean, because writers go there if they want to find Asians, but they also go there if they want to find people who will read their books uh, for critique purposes. And this lady said to me, "Okay, I've read your book. You've got something, but it's buried beneath all this flowery language and everything else. Let's dig it up and see what we really have." Over the next two or three years, uh, almost every weekday night for about three hours, she and I would hung back and forth ways to do things. I would pick up, I would write a scene and say, how does this work? And she, she would say, this part works, but this doesn't. So she was really teaching me not only how to really write, but how to edit. Uh, and it's really interesting that that's what I ended up doing for other writers now hilarious um i i know a lot of writers that especially in the beginning will get from uh from point a to point b to point c and and they have a a fully formed um novel idea they there's a beginning there's a middle there's an end and and accomplishing that is amazing and people should uh should feel extremely proud if they get from beginning to end because the amount of people who say that they they believe that they can be a novelist or that they at least want to be a novelist um, compared with the amount of people that actually get from beginning through a middle and to the end of a novel uh, is minuscule. So just accomplishing that right. is, is a feat to be proud of just all on its own. Um, but like you said, you know, at the end of draft two, you are up to what you said, 50,000 words, uh, roughly. Yeah, 53,000. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that that obviously in it, especially in the marketplace now that, you know, it the book needs to be bigger, you know, maybe, right. um, you know, maybe 80 percent bigger. Um, yes. So how uh, how do you determine um, and, and this is something that, that I think a lot of people will will get benefit from. How do you determine if the book, the, the existing scenes just need to be fleshed out? Add more detail to beefed up, um, get, slow down as a writer to um, to add more detail instead of rushing through scenes, as opposed to um, I need to add more scenes, more needs to happen in this book. I, I guess what I'm asking, how do you know if what you have is enough? It just needs to be beefed up, or if there needs to, if, if there's still more story to be told. For me, it's about characterization. If you want people to love a character, but he's in two scenes, you're not doing enough. Like, um, or if you want to reveal that somebody is a killer in a mystery, but he just showed up on page 300 and on page 310, it's like, oh, it was that guy. Uh, no, you need to build in the the evidence, the clues that lead you to this character you need to build in if for a book like mine the characterization that's going to tug at your heartstrings that's going to make you feel when a character dies and you're going to feel either bad or good or whatever however essentially the the writer's job is the same job of a director right uh, i'm the director of my novel i'm the director you know my novel is my film i'm the director of my novel so my job is to make you feel what I want you to feel. 
to any extent that I can. And then, you know, there are going to be times when I leave it up to you as to how does this thing that just happened in this book make you feel? I don't want you to necessarily feel a certain way, but it's going to make you feel a certain way based on your life experience. And the idea for what Death Taught Terrence was everybody's life experience is different, but it's not as different as we think it is. Okay, we all have to live this human life. We all have to be here and do this thing. So in, in what ways do we help each other? In what ways may we not even notice, but we're harming each other? Uh, and so the, the deal with Terrence was it, uh, that he, he, he went through a life review, sort of like George Bailey does in It's a Wonderful Life. But, uh, instead of being 4F like George Bailey was, Terrence is truly handicapped. I mean, he has, he has issues that other people may not have. He's got people in his life that, love him. He's got people in his life that called him crippled because, you know, in my life, you know, when I would, when I would date somebody at least three times, I had people tell me, you know, I would love to date you, but you're crippled. And the, the idea of that is just so strange because it's not like palsy is not something that I can just take off like a jacket and right. be rid of. So you're judging something about me that I can't change about myself. It would be like if I said, oh, I can't possibly date anyone who has blue eyes. Just can't do it. Just, just, <laughs> nope, nope. So if you have blue eyes, you're out. Like, no, that doesn't make any sense. You know, um, everybody has their own issues. Uh, some people's issues you can see. And some people's issues, you have to get to know them to figure out. But they, everybody's got stuff because we're all human. Right. It, in the book, um, in, you mentioned this earlier that uh, you you grab us literally from page one. Uh, and the book opens with uh, with Terrence realizing that he's dead. You know, by the, the third or fourth paragraph, we're well aware mm -hmm. of what's happening. Um, in your mind was was Terrence always dead uh did were there any iterations of the story where um you led up to it or i mean you don't bury the lead at all we just immediately we're okay that's what this story is um it, did did it go through any other iterations where it changed in the first draft uh chapter 2 was chapter 1 that that's it uh, <laughs> and then i i i literally People were like, hey, you're starting it in the wrong spot because he starts out in the waiting room, you know, as opposed to starting out and we figure out that he, he died. Right. We don't we know he's in a waiting room, but he could be in a doctor's office for all we know. We don't know. So I had to make it clear. No, he's dead. And the waiting room he's in is, is a waiting room in the afterlife to figure out what happens next. <laughs> what a clever way to tell this story. Um, I, I don't want to give uh, it away even though you you think you know what the book is about in the beginning and you take us on on a wild ride uh, all the way through it uh, I love it um when people finish this book um uh, Derek and and they close that back cover um you you, you say that Mitch album was a, an inspiration in a lot of ways and and one Absolutely. of the, one of the hallmarks of his work is that 
in in uh, in in sort of parable like fashion, we get a story that that on the surface says one thing and it's an enjoyable story, but mm-hmm. it leaves us with other things to think about and with a uh, a deeper, richer uh, story overall. But what do you hope people are left with at the end of this book? I hope people will look at their lives the way that Terrence looked at his. I hope because we're still here, but you have, because we're still here, the reader has the ability to change their life in whatever way they want, uh, make their life better, um, figure out maybe I'm doing something wrong here and I can make my life what I really want it to be. And so my hope is when they close that book, that they're thinking about the characters and they're try- and they're thinking about how does this relate to my life? Because that's the idea of the story. That's why I wrote it. It, it was to show you, you know, what it's like to live with palsy, but it's also, and more broadly and kind of more importantly, to show you that we all have to review our lives and we should. And hopefully a book like this will allow you to do it before it's too late and before, you know, before it's over, essentially. Well, I can't wait to see what you come up with next, Derek. Um, now that what Death Taught Terrence is out, um, you know, uh, available to the world, um, you've got to be working on a new story. Is is there something else in the works? There, are, there are a couple of things. Um, but but the thing is, I what I find about writing is the minute you say, "Yeah, I have a I have a novel and it's 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 on its way out," it uh, that novel kind of dries up. So I try to just say, <laughs> "Yes, there's stuff happening." It's um I try to make stuff that's in the same vein of Terrence sort of, but I I you know I want it to be different. Um the but yeah, no, I uh I remember one time I, I, I told somebody, Oh yeah, I got this novel and it's it'll be out in, in a year or whatever and of course the next day I went to write it and nothing would come, so I had to put it away. <laughs> so yeah. So I've learned, you know, don't give away too much or else it might not it, it's it's the muses, you know, they are, um, they are fickle. They are. And fickle. so <laughs> if, if they, if, if they hear you being too, uh, too, uh, cocky or too confident, they'll just say, no, we're, we're leaving. We're going to see somebody else. You're good. <laughs> I love it. Well, we'll put links in the show notes of this episode where people can find what death taught Terrence, whether you prefer it in paperback or in Kindle edition or even audiobook, uh, however you can... The cons- audiobook is amazing, by the way, guys. That's, I mean, the audiobook is great. I, I, uh, I, I'm going to dig into the audiobook next. Um, I've, uh, I've read the ebook and it's fantastic. Um, but uh, we'll put links to all of those uh, into the show notes of the episode. Uh, B.J. Harrison narrated the audiobook, he, is that right? Yes. He, he's, he's amazing at it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, um, Derek... Uh, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, is there a place they can connect with you online? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at, at um, I'm on Twitter at DWrites98053. And then um, I think my website will be changing eventually. We're going to make it more book centric. Originally, it, it was just a blog, but it's my name. I'm So eventually we'll be switching it to a more book-centric 
uh, form because, you know, I'd like to have people buy the book. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll put links to all those places in the show notes of the episode uh, to make it easy for people to find you. Derek, this has been so much fun talking. Um, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Hank. I appreciate it. Do you want to get paid to write stories? Do you enjoy collaborating with other talented storytellers? Do you want to work completely remotely and set your own hours? Relay Publishing is looking for writers and editors to work on fiction projects across a range of genres, from thrillers to sci-fi, fantasy, and romance. The Relay process is extremely collaborative, in the same vein as a TV show's writer's room. If you're a story geek, then you'll be on a great team. There are seven ghostwriting positions and ten editing positions currently available. Please go to www.recruitment.relaypub.com. That's www.recruitment.relaypub.com for more information on how to apply. Join a great storytelling team today. What Death Taught Terrence by Derek McFadden. Life is a journey. So is the afterlife. At the end of his life, Terrence McDonald must discover its meaning or he'll be banned from the afterlife forever and his soul will cease to exist. Join Terrence and those who love him on a poignant and unforgettable journey through a life at once wonderful and harrowing. Learn what Terrence learned. See what Terrence sees. By this provocative story's end, readers may even learn a thing or two about themselves. See why people are saying things like, Derek McFadden writes with an insight you can match. If you like the works of Mitch Album, I think you'll find What Death Taught Terrence a worthy addition to your library and the reading of it, a life-affirming journey. I found the story immediately immersive, and it stuck with me long after I finished. What Death Taught Terrence by Derek McFadden, on sale now. Invasion Day, the first book in the They Came for Blood series by Scott Moon. David Osage is a dangerous man with a complicated past. But these days, he's just trying to keep his head down, driving big rigs. One night, he saddles himself with a hitchhiker, a nuisance who's more than she seemed. And that's when everything changes. No one was ready for an alien invasion. Death is raining from the sky, and the only questions left is, do you run, fight, or submit? For David Osage and his family, answering is as easy as giving the alien invaders the finger. Grab book one, Invasion Day, in the They Came for Blood series, and then follow it up with book two, Resistance Day, and book three, Victory Day. Available at Amazon.com.